Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. A new study just came out from uh, Citigroup, two of their economists, Dana Peterson and Catherine Mann. And what they found was that since the year 2000, the U.S. gross domestic product, the U.S. GDP, has lost $16 trillion purely and exclusively as a result of anti-black discrimination in the United States. This is a quote from their study. The analysis in the report that follows shows that if four key racial gaps for blacks, wages, education, housing, and investment had been closed 20 years ago, $16 trillion could have been added to the U.S. economy. If the gaps were closed today, $5 trillion could be added to the U.S. GDP over the next five years. On the line with us is Professor Richard Wolff, the economist, co-founder of Democracy at Work, author of numerous books, democracyatwork.info, the website, and rdwolf with two fs.com, and you can tweet him at Prof. Wolf. Professor Wolf, your thoughts on the economics of police brutality and racism in the United States? Well, you know, it's an old topic. I'm very glad that the Citibank has produced that study that we've lost trillions of dollars by the abusive treatment of the African-American community should not be very basic surprise or news, given what we all know and can see every day. I have a complex reaction to the police. I think that the police are put in an impossible position. That's not an excuse for their excessive use of force. That is horrific. But it, again, is hardly surprising when you have a social problem as long as we have had, as unresolved as we have had, and then you stick in police people as if they could mediate or solve the problem. You're going to get pretty much what we have. Again, no excuse for it, but it is a problem that should have been addressed so that we're not looking at Breonna Taylor or George Floyd or any of the other. Let me, however... So would, would another way of saying that be to say that if you're going to have a repressive system, if you're going to intentionally construct a system, as we have done in the United States, right up to this day, it has diminished in degrees over the years, obviously, but right up to this day, if you're going to have a system that systematically exploits, oppresses, and basically steals from a certain class of people, 
you're going to have to have a police state to enforce that. And when you create the police state, it's not the individual police who are responsible for the police state. They're the ones executing it. You know, the, the German soldiers in World War II weren't the bad guys. It was Hitler. Is that the kind of argument that you're making here? Absolutely. And that's why it shouldn't surprise anyone. I mean, it's disgusting. It's awful. There is no excuse. It's a blot on the history of the United States and of the capitalist system. But you know, I don't want to beat the dead horse, but I do want to stress that there's a reason for this. There's a reason why not just the United States with African Americans, but for example, many European countries with immigrants from North Africa or the Middle East. In Germany, it's Turkish people. In France, it's North Africans and, and people from the Arab parts of the world. Capitalism as a system as we know is periodically crashing every four to seven years just like we've had three now in the first 20 years of this century and there's a terrible problem in capitalism if everybody all of us you tom me if we were all worried that every four to seven years we had a major risk of losing our jobs and losing our incomes how in the world would we live our lives how could we mortgage you know buy a home on time and not be terrified that four years or six years from now, we'd lose our job, couldn't pay the mortgage, etc. So what every capitalism has done is recognized that if they didn't exempt, ensure the mass of their people, that they wouldn't be bounced out every four to seven years, the only way to do that, that would be the only way to survive as a capitalism, would be to assign the horrible role of shock absorber last hired, first fired, to some subgroup, some portion. In Europe, as I say, it's immigrants. Here in the United States, it's been immigrants from Mexico, but it has been the African-American community, by and large, the main choice. Women, children, occasionally also. They're the last hired, the first fired. They're the ones who absorb, that's why I call them a shock absorber, the instability built into capitalism. It's a horrible role. The only thing worse than assigning a group that role is then turning around, watching the damage it does to those people, and then blaming them. It's a little bit like blaming the victim of a sexual assault because her skirt was too short or her blouse was too tight. I mean, I thought we had gotten beyond it, but watching the hysterical playing out of yet more oppression of the African-American community really makes you wonder whether people can learn from their history or are forever condemned to repeat it. Yeah. And now the most recent story is, you know, this is all Breonna Taylor's fault because she had the yeah. bad judgment to previously date a guy and then break up with a guy who was involved in dealing drugs, which is absurd. I mean, you know, it's absurd at, at every conceivable level. To what extent is it even possible to extract racism and its stepchild, I, I suppose you'd call it uh, classism, correct me if I'm you know, using a word poorly, from capitalism in this country. I think the importance of the Citibank report is to let the white people of America know that to allow a system to so abuse our black brothers and sisters is extremely expensive for us. 
however much it violates whatever Christian or other morality we pretend we have, or whatever ethics we believe we have, mistreating our fellow citizens is also a tremendous loss for us. Well, the only beneficiaries are the capitalist system because the whites don't protest the way they would in other countries because they have been exempted from this instability. What to do about it? Look, it's always been a simple issue if you face it. Give every citizen, white or black, male or female, a job. Give them a decent job. Give them a decent income. There's more than enough work that needs to be done. If the private capitalist sector can't do it, the government surely can. Uh, and that's what we ought to do. And if everybody had a job and had a secure income and could build their lives around those fundamentals, we would not be in the position of needing a repressive police force in the first place. So how do we do that during a pandemic? We do it because it's even more urgent in the pandemic than it was before. That This notion of, of quote, going back to normal, this fantasy which we can't do, could at least lead us to understand, do something in the midst of this catastrophe so that you're at least ahead of the game and not going back to what you know led both to the failure to prepare for the pandemic and the failures of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and all the rest. Or the failures of the system or the failures of the, of the right. officers and, and the people involved. Yeah. Professor Richard Wolf, economist, his most recent book, The Sickness is the System, When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself, Democracy at Work.info. Professor, thanks for dropping by today. It's great talking to you. Thank you, Tom. Glad to talk. You can help America return to democracy by telling friends and family how to listen to this and other great progressive programs. Tag your it. Richard in Pacoima, California. Hey, Richard, what's up? There is a distinction between bigotry and prejudice in that prejudice is more at taste and preference, whereas bigotry is rooted in hate. And our issue is, as a nation, is that hate and bigotry are much greater motivators than being kind and trying to make things work for everybody and that sort of thing, more liberal side. And that's where we're losing it with these Trumpers, man. I mean, they are active in all of their hatred, and we pretty much just sit back and go, oh, that's awful. In large part, this is because of really hateful stuff that's being spread about liberals, about people of color, about protesters. On Facebook, a lot of it coming out of foreign governments, a lot of it coming out of the Trump campaign, and a lot of it just plain old false. I mean, Mark Zuckerberg, what Facebook is doing to this country is just mind-boggling. But, you know, yeah. your distinction between bigotry and prejudice, it's an interesting point of conversation because, yes, technically you're correct. 
I could say, you know, my prejudice is that I prefer feta cheese to cheddar cheese or something like that. Exactly. Just to pull something randomly out of the air. And that would be correct use of the word prejudice. I am, my prejudice is that I prefer beach vacations to cruise vacations or something like that. But I think yeah. that that's a, a subtlety, a distinction that perhaps for people who like to discuss these things is important, but you know, probably for the average American is not. But I get your point, Richard. Thank you for the call. Rob in Mesa, Arizona. Hey, Rob, what's up? You wanted to talk about police unions? I think there should be a federal law that you know, all police should belong to a union and then make all unions. You want to defund the police? Defund the liability that's paid out every year for these bad cops and have the police unions have insurance that pays for the liability that the taxpayer is now paying for every time they have to pay out someone for a bad cop. This would get the unions involved. This would get all the good cops to say, hey, this guy's costing us a lot of money because you're not going to change anything if you don't make the unions liable. I think they're a big part of the problem right now. Yeah, we need to change the incentive structure. Right now, all over the United States, there are cities and counties and organizations of government that have police departments that are paying out millions, and in some cases, tens or even hundreds of millions of dollars routinely, you know, year after year after year for police violence, for police misconduct. And then on top of that, this study that was just published that 72% of all the exonerations, those people were falsely convicted, not because somebody made a mistake, not because a witness was wrong, not because somebody thought they saw something and it turned out they didn't, but because the police actually lied. It was actual, identifiable police misconduct, 72% of exonerations. There should be severe liability for that, and it should echo back not just to the police union and to the police department, but to the individual police officers as well. Doctors, we hold doctors accountable when they kill their patients. We hold nurses accountable. We hold pharmacists accountable. We have licensing requirements for all of these groups. We have insurance requirements for all of these groups of people who who could potentially kill us. Dentists are held accountable. And you have licensure requirements and you have insurance requirements. Why not police? I don't get it. I think, I think, you know. Everyone would agree with defunding those liabilities. Everyone would agree with defunding those and putting it on. I think you're right. I think you're right. Although I think that the way to do it is not to use the word defunding because that's turned into a trigger term for snowflake conservatives. But I'm with you, Rob. Rob, thanks a lot for the call. Daryl in uh, Denville, New Jersey. Hey, Daryl, what's up? Good. What's on your mind? Yeah. I just have a couple of things real quick. The first is, with this Breonna Taylor thing, you remember most of these militias popped up after Randy Weaver's wife was killed and after David Koresh, that debacle in Waco. And so these are ethnostaters. They're not people who are interested in making things good for everybody. They're not interested in fair laws for black. They want black people out of this country. They want an ethnostate. And so we have to be real about who is persuadable and who is absolutely not persuadable. And these are people who don't care about their economic interests. They want us gone. That's the first thing. The second thing is I'm appalled at the fact that nobody in the media wants to ask the question why Donald Trump is so anxious to be reelected. He is afraid of criminal prosecution at the state and federal level. Period. It has nothing to do with anything else. And unless we confront that, we're missing the point altogether. And it's not just him. It's the entire Trump crime family. I mean, Mary Trump sued him yesterday, criminally and civilly. She's trying to get criminal charges. She's suing him for fraud, for stealing hundreds of millions of dollars from his father's estate from her father. 
This guy is mobbed up, small-time crook, and has been apparently his whole entire life. And he knows that he's going to go to jail if he loses this election. And so, you know, he doesn't care if he burns the country down. He doesn't he, care, he you know, how many what? people he's die. He oh, no, he's, he's enthusiastic about it, because that means it's more likely that he can stay in power and stay out of jail. That's all he cares about. I understand people are angry about Bianca Taylor. I understand that. But we are operating under the assumption that there's going to be a democracy left in order to make the kind of systemic changes and changes in public policy to deliver health care and all these other things. We have to get this guy out of there. That's more important right now. I understand people want to protest, but the most important thing is putting that energy behind getting out that vote because unless we do that, you can forget about health care, Medicare for all. You can forget about loan forgiveness. You can forget about free co- You can forget about all of that stuff because we won't have a democracy left in order to make those changes. Well, that said, I think there's some synergy here, Daryl, because basically what people of color in this country know and what white people are realizing, slowly but surely it seems, is that the laws in this country and the application of the laws in this country and the structural system of policing and imprisoning in this country have all worked to the detriment, basically, of freedom and liberty for anybody whose skin is darker than mine, bottom line. I'm and black, so, Tom, to the Tom, extent. I'm black. Okay, so you know what I'm talking about, Daryl. So, my point is I, that I, I, the I, Breonna Taylor thing, I don't think that you can separate it from the Donald Trump thing because Donald Trump represents a status quo in which black people continue to be murdered in this country with impunity. To that extent, the Breonna Taylor situation is something that hopefully will activate, will cause more black people to vote. That's my point. Well, they have to, because there is no DOJ that's going to be filed in federal civil rights charges against these officers. They're not going to get involved in this. Not this Department of Justice, absolutely. No, I get it. And if there ever was a a clearer case of a violation of a person's civil rights, I'd put that at the top of the list. Daryl, thank you for the call. Alfredo in Mountain View, California. Hey, Alfredo, what's up? Ugly scenario that we're witnessing, in essence, like you said, a coup by this president invalidating all the mail-in ballots on the election. What do you think about the possibility of the military getting involved in the case that he loses and refuses to leave the White House and intervening and, you know, removing him from the White House? The latest that I'm hearing, I just saw this headline as I was about to go on the air, that, you know, Donald Trump is apparently talking about using the military to stay in power. Now, I'm going to have to go back and, you know, fact check that and dig a little deeper. But, you know, the bottom line is that Donald Trump has created his own militia. He did it within the Immigration and Customs Service, within ICE. And he has used these ICE people who were trained down at the southern border to view the people that they're going up against as an other, as a not Americans and the people who are caging children around the country. He's using those people as his private police force. They showed up here in Portland again last night. Federal police were out. Federalizing police forces, sending federal forces into cities is a classic characteristic of authoritarian fascist regimes. And that's what's going on here. We are, as Rachel Maddow said last night, we are here, you are here right now. Fascism has come to the United States in the form of Donald Trump and his enablers, his Vichy Republicans in the United States Senate and in state legislatures all over the country. 
You're listening to Tom Hartman. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant-quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity and what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Our book today is Taking Bullets, Terrorism and Black Life in 21st Century America. Confronting White Nationalism, Supremacy, Privilege, Plutocracy, and Oligarchy, A Poet's Representation and Challenge by Haki R. Madhuburi. This is from page 27, the chapter, Terror in the Midst of Prayer and Empire. He writes, 
In our perpetual state of national mourning, where our eyes are watered out and our hearts cease to heal at the rate the Creator meant them to, we hold hands in profound silence as we remember the Mother Emanuel Nine of Charleston, South Carolina, those nine mothers, fathers, sisters, and brothers. Even before burying, before black earth covered their caskets, too many ministers, media pundits, and plain white and black folks downgraded the terror that quickened their deaths of our finest in this land to the mental illness and race hatred, in quotes, of a single young white man. He may have acted alone, but he was not alone in his thinking, encouragement, gathering of arms, warped consciousness, confirmation, or ahistorical views, and yeses from the millions in the nation who proudly wear and display the Confederate flag above their hearts and fly it in all of its traitorous glory over a state capital and other institutions. Again, we find ourselves at war with history and culture, entertaining another call for a national conversation on race and a president weary of trying to make sense of and comfort the grief-stricken nation with words in the highest office of the land. This was written while Obama was president. These are the facts, not an opinion or the ignorant ranting of compromised preachers and television pundits. A 21-year-old white man, a citizen of South Carolina, walked into the sacred and spiritual home of the Emanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church of Charleston, the historic home of black liberation fighter Denmark Vesey, and fatally killed nine of its members, including the pastor, during Bible study. This was a pure act of domestic terrorism. A modern-day lynching by a young white nationalist who coolly and calmly assassinated nine black members of Mother Emanuel. Domestic violence and acts of terrorism are on the rise in the United States, as detailed by Charles Kurzman and Daniel Shanzer in their New York Times op-ed, The Other Threat, where they state that, quote, the main terrorist threat in the United States is not from violent Muslim extremists, but from right-wing extremists, end quote. In their national research, local police agencies across the country identified, quote, the militias, neo-Nazis, and sovereign citizens as the major threat the nation faces in regard to extremism, end quote. All of this is homegrown with international connections. Morris Dees and J. Richard Cohen of the Southern Poverty Law Center also writes in the New York Times article, Racists Without Borders, that, quote, Americans tend to view attacks like the mass murder in Charleston as isolated hate crimes, the work of a deranged racist or a group of zealots lashing out in anger unconnected to a broader movement. This view we can no longer afford to indulge. When, according to survivors, Mr. Roof told the victims at the prayer meeting that black people were, quote, taking over the country, he was expressing sentiments that unite white nationalists from the United States and Canada to Europe, Australia, and New Zealand. Unlike those of the civil rights era, whose main goal was to maintain Jim Crow in the American South, today's white supremacists don't see borders. They see a white tribe under attack by people of color across the globe. The end of white rule in Rhodesia, now Zimbabwe, and South Africa, they believe, foreshadowed an apocalyptic future for all white people, a white genocide that must be stopped before it's too late. End of quote. The internationalization of terrorism is not a foreign theory in today's social media world. Dees and Cohen will be speaking at a conference in Budapest about this transnational white supremacism that is emerging as the world grows more connected technologically. The message of white genocide is spreading. Also, David J. Whitaker's terrorism, understanding the global threat, gives another view. 
Clearly, our rush to forgive this mass murderer within 96 hours of this supreme tragedy is misguided, anti-human, and does not allow for properly grieving the fallen. As perfectly scripted, displaying the permanent effectiveness of Christian acculturation on the Sunday, June 21, 2015 morning services of Mother Emanuel Church, the black Christians out-Christianed their white brothers and sisters. Before the morning sermon, the presiding elder, Reverend Norvell Goff Sr., found it necessary to thank the local, state, and federal law enforcement agencies for doing their job. He also stated, quote, A lot of folks expected us to do something strange and break out in a riot. Well, they just don't know us. We are people of faith, end quote. I find this statement inappropriate, insensitive, and ahistorical, implying, whether he meant it or not, that the recent uprising and rebellions in Ferguson, New York, Cleveland, and other parts of the nation were riots and did not include black people of faith and that somehow they were strange in their social, political, and economic activism. Informed people do not riot against injustice or white terrorism. They study, organize, and strategically struggle at all levels, in the streets, on the campus, in front of the White House, and in corporate boardrooms. Dylan Roof stated his intentions were to start a race war, and informed black leadership understands that we cannot pray this away or appeal to any law enforcement agency that all across the country, including Charleston, has been seriously compromised. To label black reaction to murder, terrorism, deep unemployment, substandard housing, etc., is as riot is to blame the victim. The book Taking Bullets. As we roll on through the show here, Aaron in Sterling Heights, Michigan. Hey, Aaron, what's on your mind today? Oh, uh, yes, I was watching Brandy Rhodes on Tuesday, the 22nd, and this is in regards to the Supreme Court. And she was really going off, and I just loved the show that day. But she was talking about unanimous consent decree, quorum cause, and then third is boycott. And, you know, she, it sounded like she was talking about doing all three of them. The, Democratic senators, of course, doing that. And the last one would be the boycott, where none of the Democratic senators even show up, you know, for the vote right. because it you doesn't know, matter if they're not. Yeah. Well, the problem is and that I, a, I that a quorum a is a quorum is 51, 51 people, and they have fifty three Republicans. But but I think that we should be demanding a quorum every single day because that's going to cause a number of Republicans who are trying to be out there campaigning for reelection to come that's back to what Washington she was D.C. Saying. And, yeah. that's and, and that just makes yeah. perfect sense. I mean, there are things that Chuck Schumer can be doing to absolutely play hardball with these fools. And if he's not doing those things, then that appellation should be attributed to him rather than them. I mean, it's just, it, it is time, as I said earlier, to take names and kick ass. We've got to, we've got to fight back. Jeff in Spokane, Washington. Hey, Jeff, what's up? The worst case scenario, we end up in a civil war. What is that going to look like for us, you know, the left side who doesn't promote having weapons? I don't think we're going to have a civil war, Jeff. And if we do, it's going to be beyond unimaginable. I'm not able to go there. And I'm not able to say to people, oh, you need to be buying guns because the guys on the right have, you know, it's like do whatever you think is best for you. But I can't go down that road. Dave in Philadelphia. Hey, Dave, what's up? Hi, Tom. Listen, I have a concern here. I thought I want to get your thoughts on it. If Trump can successfully steal this election by suppressing the counting of the mail-in votes, doesn't that also mean that 
all of the down ticket Republicans are going to benefit from that. And isn't it possible? Absolutely. That's why they're supporting him. Yes. Yes. So we could end up with a fully Republican House, a fully Republican Senate. And that would be the time. We're done. That's it. If they get away with this, we can just say goodbye to the Constitution and our democracy. Well, I think we would be done for a couple of years and then things will change. I mean, the question is, how bad does it get? Right. If you look at the history of Germany or the history of Japan, it got so bad it got into World War Two and you had the right wingers in those countries just slaughtering people. But there have been a lot of other countries over the years that have flirted with right wing fascism and have pulled back. Actually, well, not so many now. Like now Belarus that I think about it. and you have Belarus. Yeah, I mean, Turkey, but but it's taken them twenty-two years. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They're not going to give it but, up. But Belarus didn't have a two hundred year tradition of democracy. See, I I really think that our history, even though you know we can easily talk about how flawed our history is and how it really wasn't a democracy, bloody bloody blah, blah, blah. But the mythology that we tell ourselves, including Republicans. And average Americans tell themselves about the United States is that we are a democratic republic, that we do believe in the, in the rule of law and we re, do believe in the will of the majority determining the laws as long as they don't infringe on the rights of a minority. So I think that if America goes down with Donald Trump, I think we're going to bounce back a lot faster than anybody realizes. But, you know, again, sometimes I'm I'm accused of being, you know, the eternal optimist. You know, <laughs> we'll see. But, Dave, right now, let's do everything we can to get Joe Biden and Democrats elected. James in St. Petersburg. Hey, James, what's up? If Nancy were to impeach Trump second time, which would be a shameful first in its own right, but if she were to impeach him a second time and slow walk it until, say, January 20th, would this tie Trump's hands in such a way that he could not make federal appointments such as this current no, Supreme Court appointment? No, it wouldn't. James, the only thing that impeachment does is it limits his uh, pardon capability. That's it. That's it. And that's specifically in the pardon clause, you know, that, that you know, other than during times of impeachment, he can pardon people. So, um, uh, yeah, uh, or uh, yeah, it's in the impeachment clause. Yeah, James, thank you for the call. I, uh, it wouldn't be a bad idea politically, I think. I mean, the Democrats are all afraid of upsetting the Republicans. I think that we really should just like get over that. On this week's Science Revolution, how Trump's new herd mentality strategy could kill six million Americans and destroy our economy. Trump doesn't know how to run a business, so we shouldn't be surprised that he doesn't know how to run a country. His latest failure, tragically, is the United States of America. Economist Richard Wolf and Dr. Justin Frank drop by on all this. Plus, Dr. Gary Yo is here on the apocalyptic wildfires and climate warming. Tune into the Science Revolution wherever fine podcasts are available. There's some news stuff that I want to talk about. You know, if you want to talk about pigeons from outer space. Actually, there was an interesting piece in the paper about something coming toward the United States that'll be like a second moon for a while. I don't, it's not going to show up in the sky as big as the moon, but it will be a dot you could see. And uh, speculation about what it is and how it got there. It turns out it's probably the second stage booster rocket from one of America's first missions to the moon back in the 60s. 
but nobody's quite sure. It doesn't represent a threat to us or anything else. It's just, you know, one of those fascinating things. There are a few things in the news that I wanted to go through with you. Donald Trump, for a second time, reaffirmed his commitment to engage in violence or promote violence after the election if that's what's necessary in his mind to hold power. He specifically refused to say that he would participate in a peaceful transition of power. Specifically refused to say that. And so what does that mean? Well, I I think we can just take it on its face. Yesterday I talked at some length about how individual states can do what Florida did in 2000, which is have the state legislatures, Republican-controlled state legislators, direct their electors to vote for Donald Trump, even if Joe Biden you know, squeaks by in their state, using the allegation that there's voter fraud, there's too many ballots or mail-in ballots, you know, whatever, you know, using some BS excuse. I want to make it very clear that there is a way to deal with this. Now, obviously, this is something in our law that needs to be fixed. It's in our Constitution. The most simple, straightforward way to fix it is the Interstate National Popular Vote Compact, uh, where so far over 200, you know, states representing over 200 uh, Electoral College votes, but not yet 270. Uh, Electoral College votes have signed on and said, you know, our state legislature requires a state legislature to agree to this. I mean, they basically have have to pass a law or resolution saying, yes, this is what we will do. Once enough states to hit 270 electoral votes are members of this compact or have made this commitment, then the Electoral College will cease to be of any consequence in the United States. It won't matter anymore. And this is why not one Republican state has signed on for this. But National Popular Vote dot whatever it is, com or org, um, has, has all the information. You can read about it. You can see if your state is a participant. That's an important thing. So number one, you know, we need to really focus on getting rid of the Electoral College after this election is over. But over the short term, the one thing that we can do to make it much more difficult for the legislature of any of these states to simply preempt the Electoral College portion of the election by saying, we're going to direct our electors to vote for Donald Trump. The one thing that we can do to prevent that from happening is have an overwhelming victory. To have large, massive, undeniable, irrefutable, impossible to ignore numbers of people showing up voting for Joe Biden. Now, I'm saying Joe Biden here rather than Democrats because we're talking about the Electoral College, which is unique. Everybody else on the ticket you're voting for and your vote actually counts toward them. On the presidential side, your vote counts toward the Electoral College in your state, which will then vote for either Biden or Trump. So this is like You know, let me make it very, very clear. Everything I've said yesterday and throughout the week and everything I'm going to be saying today about this to the extent that I'm talking about it, the top line message is get out and vote. Go to IWillVote.com and check your voter voter registration now. Yesterday we had a caller, maybe it was the day before, in any case we had a caller from a fellow who said, you know, I was registered to vote. I was so registered to vote 
that I request an absentee ballot and they mailed it to me, which they only send to registered voters. And he says, and then, you know, I filled the thing out and I was going to mail it in. And I thought, you know, I ought to check my, my voter registration one more time. And he checked it. And as I recall, I lived in Wisconsin. He checked it. And lo and behold, he had been purged. He was listed as an inactive voter. So he went on the website for the Secretary of State's office in that state and changed his status from inactive to active. The site automatically queried the DMV database and said, yep, you've got a driver's license, no problem. It's all automated in most states. It's fairly straightforward. But double check your voter registration status and make sure that everybody you know is registered to vote. There are also six state races that have the potential to flip the Senate. And, you know, people have said to me, you know, okay, I want to make a strategic contribution. I've got, I've got $50 here that I've been sitting on for a couple of weeks, and I want to send it to somebody where it's going to have an impact on this election. What do I do? And there's a lot of great groups out there, and they're begging you for money all the time. And, of course, the Biden-Harris campaign and all this kind of thing. But my advice is always donate directly to the candidates. So here are the races. In North Carolina, Tom Tillis is the toxic Trump-humping Republican. He is being challenged by a Democrat by the name of Cal Cunningham, and they are within spitting distance of each other. So Cal Cunningham is somebody worth supporting. In Maine, Susan Collins, she is being challenged by Sarah Gideon. All of these names, you can easily just hit them, plug them into a search engine and find their official page. Sarah Gideon in Maine. Down in South Carolina, Lindsey Graham is being challenged by Democrat Jamie Harrison. Jamie is a good guy, a smart guy. He really understands politics and has you know, solid progressive credentials. Jamie Harrison is one of the real up-and-comers here. That's in the South Carolina race. In Montana, Steve Daines, the Republican, is the incumbent, but he is being challenged by Democratic Governor Steve Bullock. And uh, Bullock is, you know, another, you know, he oversaw the expansion of Medicaid, ended union busting laws, vetoed two extreme bills to restrict access to abortion. In Iowa, like Montana, you've got Joni Ernst. Her opponent is Democrat Teresa Greenfield, worthy of your support, firm supporter of strong social safety net and union jobs. In Arizona, Martha McSally is endangered. She is facing Mark Kelly, the astronaut and the husband of Gabby Giffords, who was shot. So those are things that you can do, and those are people that I recommend you consider supporting. The Postmaster General, uh, you know, the uh, federal judge in Yakima, Washington, said you must put the post office back where it was. And he's saying, well, I'm sorry, we destroyed over 600 of these high-speed sorting machines. They could be used to sort ballots, over 600 of them. It took us like a year and a half, two years, but they're gone. And he says, we're not going to replace them because, uh, you know, they've already been stripped for parts. So what we know, we've all seen it. They've been thrown in dumpsters, for God's sake. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. The hidden history of the war on voting tells how the GOP has been stealing elections for decades and will again this year, unless we stop them. We're putting together a series of American history books it started with a hidden history of guns in the Second Amendment. Then we had the hidden history of the Supreme Court, the betrayal of America. Then the hidden history of the Republican War on voting. The hidden history of monopolies, how big business destroyed the American dream. 
And then next spring, it's going to be the hidden history of oligarchy and tyranny. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting. But Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give. But what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are, too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims Bras at Skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Look around! You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. Welcome back. Tom Harvin here with you and uh, Alvin in Greeley, Colorado. Hey, Alvin, what's on your mind? Good. Hi, Tom. I wanted to highlight something Lindsey Graham said on Fox and Friends. He said, quote, if Republicans lose, we will accept the result. If the Supreme Court rules in favor of Joe Biden, I will accept that result. 
What do you mean if the Supreme Court rules in Joe Biden's favor? Don't you mean the voters? Yeah, I think so, too. Trump is pursuing two strategies here with regard to uh, stealing the election, Alvin. And thank you very much for the call. The first is that they're actually having conversations with state legislatures in swing states that are controlled by Republican legislatures about having them direct their electoral college to vote for Donald Trump, regardless of whether the state is carried by Joe Biden or not. That's one. Again, if we show up in overwhelming numbers so that there is no possible debate about who won the election, that will not work. The second is that, and this is why Mitch McConnell so carefully said, we will respect the November 3rd election results. And why Mark Meadows and Donald Trump and all these guys now, when you ask them, are you going to, you know, peaceful transfer power, are you going to respect the results of the elections? They're always saying November 3rd. And that's because on November 4th, they intend to file a lawsuit with the Supreme Court saying that ballots should not be counted after November 3rd. November 3rd is the date that is specified in federal law and the Constitution as the date for the election. And therefore, November 4th should not be a day that they're counting votes. Now, you know, this is an argument that's never been made before. It's a complete BS argument. It's an argument that I doubt the court will go along with unless it is going to be entirely partisan. But Amy Coney Barrett has said, in fact, four years ago, she was talking about, you know, how Merrick Garland should not get a seat on the court, you know, and, and, we sh- and everybody should wait until somebody from our side, the Republican side, has a chance. So that's why he wants to get that third person on the court. That's what he was talking about when he said, I need a third person in the court because we're going to challenge ballots. That's what he's talking about. Judy in Ann Arbor. Hey, Judy, what's up? Hi, Tom. I actually live closer to, I'm about 13 miles southwest of Detroit, but a couple uh-huh. weeks ago I saw an article from Charlotte Alter, who writes for Time magazine, about uh, Biden's invisible campaign in Michigan and how it had some Democrats worried. And at the time, I raised my eyebrow and thought, I don't know what she's talking about because the campaign is very visible here. But then Michael Moore went on MSNBC and amplified the article, uh, along with comments about how Democrats are so good at losing elections, even when they have the advantage, blah, blah, blah. You can't even get signs in Michigan. I get calls every day. I wish that some of these people would talk to actual volunteers who have been working their tails off for months and months. I am on the ground. I am sitting in a parking lot of a campaign office right now, which is staffed by one person because that is the only thing that is safe right now. And the reason that the Biden campaign has not opened a lot of campaign offices per se in Michigan. I have 250 signs in the back of my car that will be gone in a matter of two or three days. We have given out signs. We have written postcards. We call people every day. We don't knock on doors and we don't, we're not holding rallies because we're concerned about the safety of people. And people don't want their doors knocked right now. It's a very disconcerting feeling when someone knocks on your door. So Mr. Moore should be quiet about what the Democrats are doing wrong. Come talk to some volunteers who have are working their fingers to the bone on a very well-organized campaign. Digitally, I've attended cybersecurity training, get-out-the-vote training. We're already doing dry runs for that. This is the most well-organized campaign I have ever seen. Michigan is on it. 
So Mr. Moore and the writer for Time Magazine need to talk to people other than ones that fill the narrative that they're trying to project. Trump supporters are stealing Biden campaign signs like crazy. I live on Grozeal, which is a very conservative island. And as soon as I give signs out, they're stolen by Trump supporters. So it's just not true. And I hope that he actually puts his money where his mouth is and come here and make some phone calls with me. I'd love the help. Yeah. That would be awesome. Thank you, Judy. I'm so glad you had that to say because Joyce just gives me a couple of words about the, you know, what the caller is talking about. And my sense of it was that you were going to call and basically echo Michael Moore's comments, complain about the Biden campaign. And I was ready to give it to you with both barrels. I'm so glad no. that, that you said what you said. No. Thank you very much. No. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. It's great to hear from you. Amy in San Diego. Hey, Amy, what's on your mind? Hey, Tom. You were saying that if we come out in astronomical numbers for Biden, that that will prevent governors or or the legislatures in the state from not sending in Trump electors. But they never play right. They're going to do whatever they want, even if it is astronomical numbers. I don't no, there is a major constraint on them, Amy, and that is the, that is public opinion. You know, they can defy public opinion on things where the large public is not engaged, like the Merrick Garland thing. You know, frankly, I think that if Obama had gotten out there and three or four times a week had given a press conference and railed and yelled and screamed and made noise about Mitch McConnell violating the Constitution and everything, I think he would have gotten his pick. But he was unwilling to do that. But, you know, the bottom line is that there are some things that people are seriously paying attention to and people are paying attention to this election. And if it is obvious on Election Day, if it's so obvious that the networks will call the election on Election Day or say it certainly looks like it's moving in this direction, then that's going to blow up Donald Trump's strategy of trying to get the Supreme Court to intervene and stop the count of the ballots, of the mail-in ballots coming in on the third and the fourth. And some states have actually extended that period for a full week, week and a half. That will blow that up. You know, so (laughs) fear not. Blaine in Thousand Oaks, California. Hey, Blaine, what's up? Hey, Tom, you're my hero. Why are we still pretending that America is actually a democracy? I mean, one vote, one person. You know, all I hear now is the dire warnings of the end of democracy is at hand. I don't know. As far as I'm concerned, democracy ended in a soft coup in 2000 in Florida when the Supreme Court picked the president. And I think yeah, it, it was a pretty grim moment, Blaine. But at least that was a moment where there was a thousand votes in debate, and there was no national discussion about the eighty or ninety thousand African Americans who were thrown off the ballot by Jeb Bush and Katherine Harris. That was reported on by the BBC all around the world. Because number one, the American media didn't pick it up, and the American media didn't pick it up because number two, the Democratic Party didn't want to challenge it. And I've told this story a hundred times in two thousand five or thereabouts. My and Randy and a bunch of other talk show hosts went to Washington, D.C. to talk with a bunch of, of Democratic legislators. Most of them were senators. And we brought this issue up. And, you know, you've had a stolen election and we're not sure about these voting machines and the Republicans are up to something else, Hinky, and we don't know exactly what it is. And the consensus among the Democratic elected officials at that meeting was we don't want to talk about that stuff out loud because it'll cause people not to it'll cause people to lose faith in our election system and they won't come out to vote. 
I think that was a stupid strategy at the time. I continue to think it's a stupid strategy, and I'm very glad that the Democratic Party is now loudly talking about Republican voting suppression and the fact that the only way that the Republicans can win elections is by cheating. And I think, you know, to sit around, I mean, you know, you want to have a debate about whether America is a democracy or not, call me after January 20th. But for right now, I'm keeping focused on this like a laser beam. Greg in San Francisco. Hey, Greg, what's up? All right, Tom. Yeah, I got two comments to make about the speech that Senator Sanders made. Firstly, he's pressing to have a commission to, to check the votes as they're counted, to make sure that everything's on the up and up. And apparently he's getting some kind of slack for that. And, you know, I would encourage everybody to call their representatives and tell them that you want that commission, because there needs to be no question. On it. Right, because otherwise it's going to be Bill Barr looking over it. Exactly. And and that's not going to fly. And, and while we're at it, you know, the, I, I believe the U.N. has wanted to monitor our elections as well. Why not add them in to make sure that the elections on the Well, they tried night. to do that in 2000, and, and the Republicans kicked them out. A whole bunch of Republican kicked states them kicked it, them out. And, and a number exactly. of states since so, then have actually passed laws against foreign election monitors. So, but I'm with you, Greg. I, you know, I would love to see a, an impartial third party, you know, inviting the U.N. in, inviting the Carter Center in, bringing in international election monitors. I'm fine with that, but I think it's a little late. Right now, what we've got to do is turn out in overwhelming numbers, and that means making sure that your voter registration is intact at IWillVote.com and all of your friends. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. And push that website out, IWillVote.com, on all your social media accounts. I'm going to do that on Twitter right after this hour. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Today we're reading from The Quantum Revelation by Paul Levy. This is from the introduction. For the last few years, all I've wanted to do is read about quantum physics. I've been studying quantum physics on and off for decades, but I've never gone as far down the rabbit hole as I have this time. It feels like I've gone through the looking glass to the point of no return. The more I contemplate what quantum physics is telling us, the more my mind gets blown into phantasmal traces of non-existent subatomic particles. Studying quantum theory is like ingesting a mind-altering, time-release psychedelic that keeps coming on with a greater intensity the more I wrap my mind around what this world-changing revolutionary theory is telling us about the nature of reality. Taking in what quantum physics is revealing to us about our universe is psycho-activating beyond belief in that it activates the psyche, inspires the imagination, and synchronistically dissolves the boundary between mind and matter. To say that quantum physics is the greatest scientific discovery of all time is no exaggeration. Its profound revelations and implications cannot be overstated. We literally have to create a new form of language, not to mention a new way to think, to do it justice. In discovering that quantum physics has indisputably encountered consciousness, there is simply no denying this fact. The highly respected mathematical physicist John von Neumann said as early as 1932 that consciousness exists in and has entered the equations of quantum mechanics. Yet no one knows exactly where to find it. Quantum theory demands a radical revisioning of the role that consciousness plays in the deep structure and ongoing unfolding of reality. Quantum physics unequivocally points out that the study of the universe and the study of consciousness are inseparably linked, and that ultimate progress in the one will be impossible without progress in the other. 
The change that began with the discovery of the quantum reality wasn't solely a transformation of the worldview of science, but is potentially an expression of and vehicle for the evolutionary mutation of human consciousness itself. To create context for its discovery, at the beginning of the 20th century, the prevailing opinion among many physicists was that there was nothing new to be discovered in physics except for more precise measurements. A unique development in human history, the discovery of the quantum nature of our universe, has brought about a seismic tectonic shift in the very foundation of physics and the roots of our scientific worldview. The change in the concept of reality emerging in quantum theory is not simply a continuation of the past, but rather a radical break with it. The gap between the new version of reality, the quantum reality, reveals, and our old habitual ways of thinking about reality are wider than the abyss of the Grand Canyon, the two sides of which are at least on the same level. With the emergence of quantum physics, we are encountering an entirely new universe that is of a totally different order than the one we've been used to. Quantum physics heralds a change so momentous that it can, and already has, transformed the course of world history. The discovery of the quantum has inaugurated what Niels Bohr conceived of as the beginning of a new epoch. This great change is already underway, and yet there remains a long way to go for the full transformational impact of the discoveries of quantum physics to be assimilated by humanity, i.e. for its insights to transform the nature of the collective common sense of human beings. All great theories spend a long time gestating and being born. It can be dangerous to understand new things too quickly. We find ourselves in the role of midwives, helping to birth a quantum understanding of the world. What quantum physics is revealing to us is so radical, with implications so far-reaching, that to call it merely revolutionary would not do it justice. The conceptual revolution of quantum theory has literally turned physics on its head. What it is revealing about our universe is turning right side up what had been inverted and upside down regarding our understanding of the nature of reality. The advent of quantum physics can be thought of as a revolution in the realm of ideas. Quantum physics is introducing us to a radically new way of seeing, conceptualizing, and understanding that profoundly impacts human thinking, feeling, sensing, knowing, and being. As if the universe itself were giving us a cosmic physics lesson, what quantum physics is revealing to us requires a completely new way of picturing and thinking about the universe, our place in it, as well as who we are. Quantum theory is teaching us that implicit in our very thinking are certain flaws and misperceptions that, unseen and taken for granted, unnecessarily constrain and limit our ability to apprehend the nature of nature, including our own. The founders of quantum physics, sometimes referred to as genius physicists, people like Max Planck, Albert Einstein, Niels Bohr, Werner Heisenberg, Wolfgang Pauli, and Erwin Schrodinger, famously argued that quantum physics is first and foremost a new way of thinking. Indeed, the most far-reaching impact of that uniquely 20th century mode of thought, quantum physics, will be found within the human mind. The discoveries of quantum physics require a novel response in us, which, when are more fully understood and integrated, will irrevocably change us, both individually and as a species, in the very core of our being. Regarding the implications of quantum physics, John Bell, one of the most important physicists of the latter half of the 20th century, is of the opinion that, quote, the new way of seeing things will involve an imaginative leap that will astonish us, end of quote. The book, The Quantum Revelation by Paul Levy. Brian in Lansing, Michigan, my hometown. Hey, Brian, what's up? Hey, so wanting like a list of like all the bad things Trump did, 
I had done something like that, and I can share it with you, and you can decide if you want to share it or not. I'm on Twitter, Dr. One Time Lord. It's a list based on showing that Trump is not a Christian at all, and here's all the negative things he's done. So I've done that. Yeah. Feel free to tweet it at me, Brian, and I'll check it out. You know, you might want to throw it on a website someplace. But spot on. Yes, the FBI and DHS have said that stuff like what Ron Johnson is saying is coming straight out of the Kremlin. And, you know, we should be viewing it with a jaundiced eye. Brian, thank you. Thank you for the call. Bill in Clifton, New Jersey. Hey, Bill, what's up? Hey, I got some geeky election uh, science. In 1997, George W. Bush, governor of Texas, signed into law allowing astronauts in space to vote. And they've been casting votes dozens of times ever since. The registrar sends up to their email a encrypted Word document, and they both have a unique password to open it up. The astronaut fills it out and then downlinks it back to the registrar in the county. But other huh. states have allowed it, too, to vote from space. So, wow. And, and this, and this is the same guy, George W. Bush, who worked with his brother Jeb to prevent 90,000 African-Americans from voting in Florida. So it's okay for white astronauts up in well, space to vote, or any kind of astronauts, right. I suppose. And, but it's not okay for black people in Florida to vote. It's right. amazing, Bill. Right. And it was 1997. David Wolf did it from the Russian Mir space station. The huh. first time they wow. used it. So what's the problem? Yeah, I'm with you. And I think, you know, eventually we're going to get to some sort of a safe technology. I mean, again, if you can bank online with some high level of security, logic suggests you should be able to vote online. But as long as China is about to build the first quantum computer that could break any code out there and stuff like that, I'm still a little nervous about it. But nonetheless, you know, most of our election infrastructure is on the Internet anyway. Bill, thank you for the call. Cheryl in Los Angeles. Hey, Cheryl, last minute is yours. What's up? Hey, Tom, I am very concerned about this election, especially with Trump. He's talking about throwing out our ballots and that our ballots are invalid. And he's a fascist trying to take over, and it scares the hell out of me. What can we do to stop him? Go to indivisible.org and sign up. Go to democrats.org and sign up. Indivisible is probably the premier private standalone nonprofit out there that's working on this, and Democrats.org is the DNC's website. Special thanks to Louise Harbin, Sean Taylor, Nate Atwell, Jamie Holly, Joyce the Hammer, Nance, Nigel Peacock, Sue Nethercutt, Patrick Hoyt, Gerilyn Halbert, Dave Fulton, Ron Hartenbaum, Chase Spross, Nicholas Miller, Pat Sweeney, and Jabber Maki, all the folks who are helping bring this program to you and all the various venues that you're getting it. Thank you. Get out there, get active, tag, you're it. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.